We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you, my love? I am so good. Everyone listening, I'm assuming, has just got through a long weekend. I feel like no matter what state you're from, there was some form of weekend happening for whatever reason. And my weekend was very special because my husband took my older two camping and I stayed home with Pearl, our bub, and actually had one of my friends stay over with her baby because her older two boys were away camping as well with my family and her husband. And it was so nice. I think anyone who has multiple children can relate that so often I think we worry about the toddlers and the older children when there's a new baby coming along. And as much Mm. as it can be so hard for them, I think that we forget that actually the people that have to adapt the most to the family structure is the baby themselves. And it was so nice to just be guided by her, you know, for her to sleep when she was tired, for her not to be disrupted, for her not to be pulled from, you know, here to there. We tried to get in the car as little as possible. I made eye contact with her. I had the, (laughs) you know, energy to play with her and to, to really just, you know, fulfill her needs and Mm. it was so it was so so special and everyone else was gone for about three nights and they've just returned home now so I apologize if there is background noise because they're acting as though they've been away for weeks like they're being reacquainted with every freaking toy in the house (laughs) like the house went from being absolutely spotless because I didn't have any children here that could move and like mess things up and um, it's gone from you know like being so under control to Hello. I'm just recording, honey. Can can you come back in 10 minutes? I'll come out and get you when I'm done, okay? As I was saying, impeccable timing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like they've come home, they've unpacked every toy they've ever owned ever as though they've missed it so much over the past three nights. I think there's been four outfit changes, but it's actually been so nice, like, you know, going back to a quiet home and then for them coming back and I'm like, oh, I actually love this mess and this noise and this, you know, speak to me in a day's time and I'll be, I'll be ready for the peace and quiet again. But it was just so nice to just have a little bit of a change of pace And then to go back to, I guess, your reality and be like, oh, there's actually something really heartwarming about, you know, the music playing and and, and the random little bed set up everywhere and the clothes on the floor and the mum, look at this, mum, look at that. I don't know. It's just a nice perspective shift. So I am really good. The only downside is I know last week I was saying how good Pearl's sleep was Mm. and it had been for quite a while, but over the long weekend, I don't know if it was because Nick went away, Pearl also 
also had a runny nose and was a bit sick. I've noticed her top tooth is about to come through. It was Ooh. a full moon. I think Mercury was in the microwave. And she's um, developmental for sure. It, it was a bit of everything. I'm like, Nick's home now. Let's sleep again. So yeah, I probably was a bit smug last week. I'm not as smug about sleep this week, but I am hopeful that I know she's capable at least, but hopefully things will go back to normal now. How are you? I was about to say school holidays are about to end, but no, that's our fabulous Queensland listeners, not our New South Welsh women. (laughs) That's true. And I just wanted to say, just because of last week, how you were saying, oh gosh, you know, I was like... I was stoked that she was sleeping. You were allowed to feel those wins because here you are this week not feeling those wins. So I'm glad that you did. And also I really, really feel what you're saying when you have, you know, some of your kids taken away and you've just got one-on-one time with your child because especially the third child because they just don't, they don't get that, but also we don't get that. And I think that we were so used to having that with our first child, having that, connection with your third is it's one really easy because we, we we have done that before but also it's so special because it's like we never get the time to do this so mm. it is it's just a really special time and I always bring this up but like the one time I took Yumi out on a date before we went to the doctors she's never forgotten that and she reminds me every week if we can go to the doctors the, the poor thing thinks that the only way <laughs> that we can do something special on our own is to go to the doctors. Have a needle. <laughs> yeah have a little needle but no I I'm really happy. And I was going to say similar, similarly, I can't even say that. That's the hardest Um, word. It is a really hard word. But um, I am in the middle of school holidays and it has been really special actually because I've got mum and dad up here. My sister-in-law is up the coast and the girls have, the older girls have been alternating and having sleepovers with everyone. So I've only had like either Mia and Yumi or Billy and Yumi and that's been most of last week. And I sat there Mm. this morning, was having a coffee with Harry and I was like, how nice has it been having the different dynamic, just the different shift because also they play differently. And I feel like as soon as you do, you pop all three of them back together. It is that beautiful chaos that we all love and know, but it is a completely different way of connecting. And I just, I don't know, really, really love the fact that they were filling up their cup, having one-on-one time with their grandparents. And then we were having really great time here with just two of them. So, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I know everyone can't do that, but if you get the chance to have that one-on-one time, even we talk about just having little dates with, you know, picking one kid up early from school, it is a really beautiful, special time to have, even if it is just an hour. Yeah. So basically the moral of the story this week is to get rid of your kids. Any and all children. <laughs> yeah. We're doing well, aren't we? We're doing really well. We love them. But it is it is interesting just to see how the dynamic changes with, yeah, you know, like Nick even said Poppy turned to him last night when they were camping and said, oh, next time can we all come and do this? Like because oh, she was her. really missing that Pearl and I weren't there. So it was like when she came home she was extra excited to see us because, you know, she realised that it was nice all being together. And so that was really sweet. And that is why it's so good because we all get to feel like we've missed someone somewhere. You're like, oh, Mia, I've missed you or Billy, I've missed you. And they don't want to say it to each other, but of course they've missed each other. They've missed annoying each other. You know how it is. So yeah, I've got an old low that I would like to share. 
An old low. Yeah. So it's something that happens. I've mentioned it before. It's something that happens usually every September and I have a like a depressive episode and go into a real big lull for it's uh, it goes for about six weeks and it turns into around my birthday, which is next weekend. And I end up never wanting to celebrate myself because I'm all in a funk. And I just want to say I have got through this period that is usually incredibly hard for me. And I've had these bad nightmares and sweats of lots of like mouse poo and, and sticking in mud. It's, it's really strange. I know like some people can believe in what dream meanings are and what, what they aren't, but I was sort of looking at it in a spiritual way and I feel like I'm overcoming something massive that I've always had a real hard time with and I've just never been more proud of myself and I'm so happy and excited to celebrate myself next weekend with you. You're coming along as well and I don't know, it's just been a monument, fuck Jade, you can't even speak today, monumental year. And look, I'm not saying that it won't turn to shit and I won't have bad days, but I'm really understanding myself a lot and I'm really allowing myself to sit with all these uncomfortable feelings because I'm allowed to and I'm human. So are you feeling that some of those factors are still there, but you're finding a way to keep your head above water or what, what, like, what do you think is different this year? I think understanding how I operate mentally and changing my view on myself and putting up boundaries and realizing you don't have to be down around this season. That's just a habit that you formed over time. You can actually change that. It's, it's Mm. hard. It's not easy, but you can set yourself up with, you know, exercise and doing things differently and not getting into this, you know, rhythm. I mean, obviously I am on medication as well, so that absolutely is helping, but I just think it's a whole combination of things. And I haven't just like thrown in the towel. I usually go, oh, you know, off on a different tangent and I've been really consistent this year or halfway through this year and it it has changed I can't put my finger on you know I wish I could say to someone or everyone what it actually is that is changing me but it's it's the books I'm reading it's the time I'm spending it's me understanding when to slow down instead of accelerate it's it's a it's a lot of things and even this weekend usually I would you know around my period I would go and go crazy cleaning the house, but I would clean one part of it and then I'd stop and read a few chapters of my book and then I'd Mm. do something else. And it's just, I've never worked that way. And that in Mm. itself is a huge change for me. So yeah, it's a real, it's a funny season. It's a, I don't know, it's like, I feel really clear headed and I feel really happy. And I just am normally not feeling like that this time of year ever. And I just, I don't know, it's just, a really nice feeling to feel. That's so incredible. Did you yeah. feel a sense of dread coming into this season, knowing that it was potentially in front of you? That I think that's a shift. So usually I would, and then having yeah. that dread would then it's potentially like self perpetuating. Yeah, thing. yeah. Whereas I really set myself up with tools to understand that that isn't actually what happens in life. You can change the way you think. You can do things differently, and it's all really yeah. in your own mindset that things can shift. And that's really all that's happening here is my mindset shifting. So. Yeah. Anyway, enough about me. 
So that's my high and that's my old time low. Do we have a rude or fabulous or a mum hack? Someone has sent in a mum hack and she said, so I think I just accidentally discovered a mum hack. I'm currently breastfeeding my nine week old and I have quite a large supply, but I suck at wearing the breast pad thingos. So I'm constantly <laughs> leaking through onto my tops. Hard relate. We are actually on our first little vacay as a family of four and I've been wearing my bikini around under my clothes. And what do you know? My padded swimmers have soaked up all of my letdown equals no big wet patches on my clothes. Winning might just keep wearing bathers once I get home. Now I'm just hoping someone can give me a mum hack to help me get my baby to sleep. I can't help you with the sleep, but I think the bathers idea is excellent. It is excellent. And I hope you're living in a climate that's not like cold and icy because that's a little bit, it's going to be a bit difficult if that's She's going to wear bikinis under her snowsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, hey, that, at least works. nothing would leak through the snowsuit anyway. That sounds quite nah, great. <laughs> go for gold. Now, I think that this week's episode actually aligns quite well with what you were saying before about Mm. your mental state because this week's episode is all around boundaries in some ways specifically to motherhood and the boundaries you have to set in terms of, you know, being a parent and looking after your family and all of that. But I think even throughout this episode – what I love, you know, when we were recording it and listening it to, to it back is that anyone who's listened to us for a while, you can hear your growth in it. Like you were Aww. saying things in this episode that like, and I've Don't said, it's cry. not just you. No, seriously, it's not just you talking the talk. Like I have seen you over the past six to nine months, especially really putting some of these things into action. Mm. And actually I was speaking to someone the other day and they were saying, you know, how's work been? How's this been? And, and I was saying, look, to be honest, it's been too busy. Hey, darling, you've just got to be quiet. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. I'm nearly done though. Okay. Yeah. Yep, sounds good. Once we're finished, we can set up a costume show. And, you know, I was talking to someone and I said, look, it's it's been too busy. I've felt a little bit like I'm drowning, but we've put, well, you know, we're putting X, Y, and Z in place. Mm. And I feel like so much of that has been inspired by you or led by you or I guess me emulating things that you have done because, yeah, because you've been so good at setting these boundaries and I have been able to see through you how excellently they have worked. So, I mean, I think that's probably related to why you're also feeling the way you are right now in comparison to other years. But, yeah, I just think this is such an important discussion. I think the word boundaries is thrown around so Mm. much and kind of that therapy speak is thrown around so much nowadays. But, a lot, you know, I mean, if you're like me, it's like, okay, yeah, that's all well and good, but how do we put that? into practice and and it's like I get it we need boundaries but like how can we have boundaries and still have you know you know this village that we want at the same time or people helping us or friends or not everyone being like fuck she wants help but she's impossible to help so yeah I mean that was just a reflection I had in listening to it back is that yeah the way that you have implemented these things in your life but in such a kind caring way and you really do set boundaries from a place of love is really inspiring Mm. Well, I wish I could give you a hug right now because we're not in the same room, but I'll give you a virtual hug. There you go. There's my virtual hug. I appreciate you even like even seeing that and hearing that back because you don't hear that often when, you know, you're going through a lot and 
I don't know, I just don't think that a lot of people say I'm proud of you or I can see how much you've grown in that in that way and it means it means a lot to me. I just think with this episode it's really really empowering and it's really important to understand that boundaries are created to protect your emotional, physical and mental well-being. So understanding that you are setting these up to protect yourself is actually game changing. And once you understand and you practice and you learn all these things, you really do feel like a completely new human that has so much control, but you can do all of this with kindness and understand that it doesn't have to be out of anger or any other negative emotions. So we really, really hope you enjoy this episode because we obviously love this chat. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Yara, and welcome back to Beyond the Bump podcast. For those who haven't heard any of our episodes with you before or haven't come across you on social media before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, I would love to. Thanks for having me back. So I am a psychologist and I I really enjoy working with mums and so that's all I do. So I'm quite selective about the work I do. So perinatal mental health is my jam. And I work with mums one-on-one. I also do quite a few workshops and I also run a group called The Rebirth, um, which runs for three months. And actually on what we're talking about today, I just realised I have a whole module in there that is all about this stuff. (laughs) So I'm really excited to chat more about what we're going to dive into. So yeah. And I have my two, my two babies, I should probably tell you about two. So I've got two kids myself. (laughs) I've got one who is seven and my daughter just turned five last week. So they keep me very busy in between that and all the illnesses that kids can catch and then trying to juggle work as well. Busy, busy. Absolutely. But we're super excited for today's episode. It's something that we have been asked to cover a lot. It's been a long time coming and it's all about boundaries. Mm. Uh, We feel like it's such a huge part of parenthood, especially postpartum. Mm. And I feel like so many of the women or people that listen to us, I think especially women, you know, we've been born in the 80s or 90s and we've kind of been raised to be these people pleasers. Well, I have anyway. Mm. Jade's a bit better at it than I am, but um, you know, in general, I feel like we're people pleasers. We don't like to rock the boat too much. And then on top of that, we're screaming, where's our village? But then when help does come, Mm. sometimes it's not the way we like it. Or these people are overstepping our boundaries and we're kind of stuck in this place of, I feel like so much of it is postpartum because all of a sudden you don't feel like you have the time you used to have, you know, you've got a dependent now. So, I guess, yeah. I just want to say that for being a people pleaser my whole life, and you're right, I think that a lot of people out there are, I have come a a really long way since becoming a mother and learning Mm. boundaries. Boundaries have actually saved my life and boundaries have actually made me a better human being, a better mother and a better person. And if it wasn't for me really tearing myself apart to really understanding how important it is Mm -hmm. as a mother to have boundaries. I really just don't know what mental state I would be in today. So I'm so grateful that you're on and having this conversation with us because I I know that so many people listening will just be absolutely over the moon with this Mm. chat. So let's get stuck in, shall we? Yeah, we got our listeners to send in 
some questions. And so we will go through quite a few examples. Some of them are their parents. A lot of them were in-laws. We don't want this to turn into a (laughs) podcast that just rags Mm. on in-laws. We do have an episode on (laughs) in-laws. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like Jade and I have been quite blessed in the in-law department and we know there's amazing Mm. in-laws out there, but they can also be notorious for overstepping Mm. boundaries. Also partners, friends, but let's just start off general. I guess what are boundaries and how do you set one? And I think, you know, when you were talking there about, you know, feeling as though boundaries have sort of saved your life, I think that there's always a cost Mm. to having our our boundaries violated or of not having clarity around boundaries. So what we're willing to accept and what we're not willing to accept But I think that when you become a parent and specifically for mothers, because we have so much less kind of autonomy, so much less space to be on our own and to have the sort of downtime, I do wonder whether the constant boundary violations in the postpartum or once we become mothers feels more intense for us, you know, because we don't have a lot of opportunity to, like I sometimes think about it for myself and I'm like, I think I used to let lots of boundaries slip before I had children, Mm. but I could sort of get away with it because I had lots of time for myself in amongst all of that, right? Yeah. So I could give myself what I needed even when I did kind of overextend myself in my kind of community or in my friendships or whatever it is, whereas now there just isn't that time. So if you're constantly overextending or if you're not letting people know that they have gone too far in some way, there isn't that same space or spaciousness for kind of like refilling yourself you know so you have to be Mm, really strict mm. otherwise you end up just pouring out pouring out pouring out and it never really comes back so thinking about boundaries for me it's really about um and and also knowing that I guess defining boundaries that they can change over time too like what's okay today might not be Mm. okay tomorrow and even what you feel like you've got capacity for at the at this particular phase in your mothering so that might be you know, I think about in my immediate postpartum with my first in particular, and even with my second, my boundaries looked really different to what they do now, because I just have a lot more capacity because my kids are older. And so those things can change. And so I think that boundaries are really what we communicate to people to let them know what we've got capacity for, you know, like, so checking in with ourselves in terms of how we're feeling. And I often like to think about that, the way that we know that a boundary has been violated. And sometimes this is not a conscious boundary because we don't, we haven't put it into words with Mm. people. It's just that we have this feeling of discomfort. And so it's like, for me, I often think about it like it feels like it's in my gut. It feels like I actually did a podcast interview recently where after the episode, I noticed that that was coming up for me. So I had to contact the person because I realized after that I said more than I felt comfortable in saying on a particular issue. Mm. And so it's like the thing that let me know that that had happened was actually my body. It was like, I felt really Mm. uncomfortable. I felt uneasy. My mind kept going back to that particular content as well. And so that communicates to me that I've gone a little bit too far there. And so I was able in this case to go back and have that communication. And I think that that's what happens in the real world too. Sometimes we don't know what the boundary is, but we feel discomfort in our body. And it's important that we find the courage within ourselves to go back and actually have that communication. And it's interesting, you know, you raised that point about lots of people talking about their in-laws. And I actually think possibly one of the issues with that, and the reason why we see that showing up more than maybe with our own parents is simply because of the 
comfortability that we have with open communication. Like I don't know that you know, I have, I'm one of those people that has a really fantastic relationship with my mother-in-law and like she's so much more aligned with every element of how I am as a person, as a being than my own parents are. But I have really open communication with her. And even when we have parents who we have tense kind of interactions with, there tends to be a lot more transparency in the way that we communicate with those people. Whereas when it's our in-laws, because it's not our direct family, there can be kind of a bit of a clunkiness there in terms of how we communicate. Mm. And then there are obviously there are more complicated issues in terms of like, you know, there <laughs> might be cultural differences or there might be a partner who doesn't want us to communicate their ba- that boundary. Like there may be all of those sorts of things too. But I do think one of the big things is around the ease that we feel in actually communicating with them. But communication is such a massive conversation. I mean, <laughs> we always talk about communicating. Communication mm. is key. It's actually really, really hard for some people to communicate. And I actually spent a long time, months, working on communication because I, with my therapist, actually, I said to her, oh, I'm, I'm not very good at confrontation. And when we actually delved into it, we worked out that I was getting confrontation and communication mixed mm. up. I shouldn't have to feel uncomfortable because I'm communicating. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's confrontation, sharing how you feel to someone that you love or someone that you don't love. That is your yeah. boundary. You are allowed to have that feeling and you're allowed to mm-hmm. be heard. Whereas I have always, it's been instilled where I've always just gone, that is a really hard conversation. That's way too confrontational. I'll just shut it down. And what happens inside of me is all these internal issues build up and the other person or whatever's going on has no idea Mm. what happened. I've literally just put a wall up and the only way for me to safely feel okay is to move on. And you've probably assumed their reaction as well. Like, I mean, I know I do that. And then often when you do have the conversation, you go, oh, That wasn't the reaction that I'd kind of gotten ready for in my head. And I had to learn. I had to actually learn a lot of tools and I I did baby steps. Hey, why don't you ask your husband something really, really small and see what he, how he reacts? Because we worked out even in my relationship that I would hold off telling him things. But what we realized was he would get flustered because I would tell him last minute when I gave him all this Mm -hmm. opportunity to, you know, mull it over he had no issue. And going forward, now that I see that, it's so mm. easy. But in in my head, I worked out this whole big fight or flight conversation that was like too much to say. So I just went, oh my God, it's too hard. I'm not going to mm. worry about it. When in fact, it was a really simple, oh, no worries. I can sort that out for you. And I went, why have I not done this yeah. before? And I think that what you're talking about there, which is such a brilliant way of kind of getting comfortable with setting boundaries or with communicating how we feel to people, even when we may think that it isn't going to be received well, because sometimes we have to do that anyway, is this, you know, what you're talking about, this kind of graded exposure. So, you know, what's something that's maybe not so significant, that's a small thing that we can start with and getting more and more comfortable with those feelings. And I think that part of it is also even when you're in the process of communicating or setting boundaries or whatever, is actually noticing what's coming up for us in our bodies, like noticing, okay, I'm feeling this tension in my body or I'm holding tension in my breath or even noticing how we're curating 
what we're actually saying, you know, like how yeah. careful we're being with our language and just noticing all of those things and seeing how those things change over time. And actually, you know, like I think that one of the things is naming what the experiences are that we're having. They just feel less scary when we're able to say, yeah, okay, I felt a bit anxious in doing that and this is how it showed up for me in my body. And I think also I think what you're speaking to there possibly is, you know, for you maybe the way that you've been raised and way that most of us women have been raised, which is that unless you're going to say something or do something that's going to nurture someone or make someone happy or make someone else feel good, that it's not something that we should be communicating out loud and I think that in particular in relationship with men that's definitely something that we are typically conditioned to believe which is that we are nurturers that we're caregivers you know and also this thing around like what does it mean to be a woman you know that we don't rock the boat that we don't upset you know the apple cart in the relationship like all of that sort of stuff and I think that the the leap there that has to happen, which can be a really big leap for some people, but can be helped through that kind of graded experience that you're talking about there is coming to the understanding that another person's emotional experience is theirs. It's not our responsibility Mm. to feel for them. That doesn't mean that we go into communication or boundaries (laughs) with callous, right? I love to say loving boundaries. That's what I love to say it. Because when we're communicating boundaries with people, we're not doing it because we're trying to be spiteful or nasty or trying to upset the other person, we're normally doing it because we have to protect our own well-being and we have to protect our own energy or the well-being and energy of our family or whatever it may be. And so when we, you know, remember and tune back into that, we can think of it, think of it as we're setting these loving boundaries, right? And then the feelings that the other person has, that actually is their responsibility. And if they are an emotionally mature adult, they'll be able to deal with that. If they aren't an emotionally mature adult, they're going to have some trouble with that, but that's actually their work to do, right? So there are lots of adults walking around today that are not emotionally mature adults. There are many, many, many of them. And that's just simply because, you know, if if we look back through history in terms of what was important for survival wasn't necessarily around emotional maturity, right? It may have been, you know, like Mm. I'm thinking back to like our parents or maybe their parents and what it meant to kind of get by in life in those in those different eras. It was all very different, you know, but we're coming now into a kind of an era and into a time where there is a lot more abundance. And so we have the spaciousness and a lot of us have now got this understanding around what it looks like to be emotionally mature, right? And that means owning kind of our own shit, owning when someone sets a boundary and we get upset, like, I'm at a point in my life where I don't do this perfectly, but often I try and go like, why does that bother me so much? You know, like, and really do that reflection of like, why does this bother me? What meaning am I making out of this? You know, what Mm -hmm. boundary have I potentially violated before that's made them have to get to this point? Now, when we think about setting boundaries with our parents or with in-laws, they may not have the kind of resources on board to be able to do that. And so there is, I think for many people, a sense of responsibility for doing that work for them because that's probably what Mm. we've done our whole lives and how we've been conditioned to engage with them, which is to be careful of their emotions and make sure that they're always looked after and, you know, cared for in that way. But I think we do have to get to a certain point where we say, I really love you and I really love me too. And so I'm going to communicate what's important for this relationship if it's going to continue. 
And the way that I look at it at the moment and on this journey of self-care is that you're nurturing your mm. inner child. So perhaps there was just a blank space where you didn't learn things or you didn't understand things or boundaries weren't a thing or your confrontation was too much. And now I sit there with myself and whenever I speak, stand up for myself. And it, it, it might not be confrontation. It might just be a boundary I've put up saying, I'm not going to feed you guys, I sound hectic, but I'm not going to feed you guys breakfast. I'm going to have a coffee. We've got up mm. early. This is my boundary today. I have internally, I, I sound silly, but I get a warm heart knowing that I've cared mm. for myself. And it's just, it's such a nice thing to feel because otherwise you can feel a lot of emptiness and loneliness when you're not nurturing for you and and doing things for you. Yeah. And I think I love that you're thinking about it from the, you know, the inner child perspective. And I really work from a parts therapy perspective. And I do think about it like that too. It's like, you know, for many of us, we may have come from families where in order to feel like we had love and that we weren't going to get rejection, we had to care for the emotional needs of our parents. When we do that over a long period of time, we can develop belief systems which revolve around that we're not worthy of being able to actually hold our own boundaries or to say what we want or to have our own needs and wants and likes and that sort of thing. And so I think that setting boundaries as an adult is actually often part of a kind of reparenting process where we're saying to that part within us, I see you, you're a value to me and I'm going to protect you, right? And, and I really love that. And that is often how I think about it. And I think when we do have those difficult situations where we do have to place a boundary and we need a bit more courage, sometimes that can be the thing that kind of gets us over the line when we say, I'm going to look after that little girl inside me because they really matter to me. And someone wasn't able to do that for them maybe, you know, in, in my real childhood. So I'm going to be the one that does that now. And I think that's a lovely way. And that's probably also why so many of these things crop up when you become a parent, because you may be looking at that inner child or in reality at your actual childhood mm -hmm. and thinking, I'm not going to let that happen again. And maybe that's why we're so, I guess, I'm going to say triggered for want of a better word by our parents or our in-laws, because they're that generation who maybe we saw it coming from when we were a child. So then it's like, wait, I need to stop mm -hmm. this from happening. But it feels awkward because maybe they don't realize that, you know, things have changed. Mm. But so if you're like me and you're a novice at setting boundaries, do you go into it with kind of like a template? Like, you know, how sometimes when giving feedback, people say you give a compliment sandwich or whatever. Is there, is there like a boundaries for dummies <laughs> template mm. that we can kind of get started yeah. with? I think that the first thing is getting clear about what it is that you need that boundary. And so some of this work, if this is very new to you, is work that you do on your own. And I think that reflective journaling is a really good practice for something like this. So this mm -hmm. is where you actually write it down and you might even write down what you actually want to say to that other person. And in mm. this, because you're doing a reflective journal exercise, you can actually get it out with all the emotion that you want, that you want to save from the real life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Some expletives <laughs> and um Exactly. So you want and that means that you get to do the processing yeah. of how you felt when that boundary was violated in the first place and all of that sort of thing. Get it all out and then through reading that, you might be able to actually pry apart apart what are the key elements of what you want to communicate here. But the other thing is that sometimes a boundary is best communicated in a very succinct and short way. Like actually just saying a no or actually just saying 
this is how we do things in this situation or if you are going to be in my home, then this is how I don't want you to speak like this. You don't always need to go into deep sort of communication about why and explain it and bring all this sort of stuff and you don't need to do that. Of course, that's going to depend on who you're talking to because I also think about Mm. boundaries in terms of boundaries with our children too and I think you brought that up so beautifully there around, Jade, around um, having the coffee in the morning. Like I think that that is really important and sometimes where we get into hot water Mm. is actually where we don't set boundaries with with our own children and then we end Mm. up giving so much and then we get to the point where we're now going to set a boundary but we're doing it out of a really dysregulated place and, you know, that's where all the anger and all of that stuff can come as well. And that's, again, fear of disappointing our children, right? Fear of of having to deal with the upset as well is can be one of the things, but it's always worse. Oh, (laughs) it is always worse. I also find that when I learned how to, you know, set boundaries myself, it would ick me to even reenact it. So I would say to my therapist, like she'd say, say this out, Mm. how you want to say it to so-and-so. And I'd go, oh, I can't say it. She's like, Jade, okay, let's rephrase it. So it's more comfortable for you. And I had to get in the habit of saying, um, whether it was to, let's say my husband or my children, whoever it may be, I would say, I've been having these thoughts running through my head and they, you know, they may or may not be true, but this, this and this keeps coming into my head and I just want to make sure that it's not how mm-hmm. how it is. It takes the pressure off accusing mm-hmm. somebody. So even if this is a parent or a um, an in-law and saying it like this is the way I feel so you're not directing the conversation at them saying, uh, you know, this you've is done your this, fault. You've done that, yeah. Saying it and it's, it's a really nice kind approach to letting your feelings out without someone really just backhanding you. And I found that working really well. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about there is really taking responsibility for how you're making sense of whatever's happening in that situation. And that's often kind of something that you might hear in couples therapy, you know, like using I statements and stuff to really own your own experience (laughs) in, in that interaction. And I think that that's important. And I think, though, going into that conversation, it still is useful can be really useful for you to know what is the final boundary that you're trying to communicate in that, right? So Mm. even if you give people an opportunity to hear how you have taken responsibility for how you're making sense of that and they may want to clarify that or whatever, it still may not be something that you're comfortable with, right, whether it's a certain behaviour or whatever that may mean. And so I think I do think that, yeah, spending some time kind of reflecting on it first. And then, as you said, if you want to have that communication where you're really showing that you're taking responsibility for how you're making meaning about a certain behavior or things that people have said, and that can be useful because sometimes if they clarify it, maybe then there doesn't need to be a boundary, right? So that can be useful as well for doing that. But I do think practicing by writing things down is really good. And I also think, as I mentioned earlier, connecting to what you're feeling in your body your body will always tell you if a boundary has been crossed. It will always tell you. So I think if we just tune into that as a starting point as well, that can be really helpful. And I would just, again, remind people that when they are communicating boundaries with people is really trying to take the emotion out of it and really just talking about what what are the facts of what's going on and what you need. And sometimes what can be useful as well is rather than just talking about what people are maybe doing that you don't like, is actually giving them clear indication for what you would prefer for them to do instead. So whether, and that's something that I think especially with children is really useful. So actually redirecting them towards the kind of behavior that you want and with in-laws or with parents and things, if it's like, 
you know, for example, it makes me think of um, when I had my first and my dad, bless his cotton socks, he used to come <laughs> over and, um, and he would just hang out for hours because he just wanted to be around, but it used to just feel like he's so lovely, but he wanted to be entertained the, the whole time. And I remember yeah. one time just being like, can you put on like a load of washing or like wash the dishes yeah. or something or like, you know, I said something like that to him and he kind of like laughed at me because in our culture, maybe not just our culture, but in our family, it's just there's these very gendered kind of roles and he kind of laughed at me about it. And I was like, well, listen, if you're not going to come here and help, you can't come here anymore for a while. I need some space here. Like you're always in my, like I literally was just like in my underwear all the time with my boobs yeah. out, like with yeah. milk everywhere. Like, you know, I'm just like, what are you even doing here? Like make me a cup of tea. <laughs> So, you know, that meant that I just had to say, hey, listen, I actually need you to give me a couple of weeks, actually, of space. And I remember his his face. He didn't say very much, but he respected what I wanted. And I could see that there was hurt there for him in receiving that because he thought he was doing the right thing by just being there, mm. right? And it was lovely that <laughs> yeah. he was there. And it was lovely that he was so excited about having a grandchild and all the rest of it. But it was like, this isn't actually what I need right now. If you're going to be here, I need you to be yeah. a bit more hands-on. And so I had to just sort of, I didn't say much. I just said, hey, I actually need a bit of space at the moment. So can I just have a couple of weeks and I'll call you when I'm ready? And he was just like, okay. <laughs> you know. So sometimes we don't need to go into all the detail of why it is. We just need to say what we need and what we need from them and how that's going to come about in the end, which was me saying, hey, I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks. And that's what we did. And when he came back around, was kind of past that intense early early stage and I was a bit more together myself and then I could and also he came for shorter periods of time so that was the Did other. you pop the kettle on I can't remember I can't remember. <laughs> probably not probably not <laughs> but it was shorter periods of time so it's like I can handle I know what you're something like. was learned yeah. yeah and I think that's the other thing for us in terms of us having boundaries for ourselves is like I know what I can expect from him right and so if I know what I can expect from him, then I know I can only handle it in this amount. And so that's me being clear about that with him and also with myself and not trying to take on too much for him in that situation. Does that make sense? It does. And in terms of taking on too much, when you actually say that boundary because you genuinely need it for yourself, mm-hmm. you don't then go and spend all this time going, oh, I wonder how they feel. Oh, they probably feel so bad. Oh, they they were only trying to do the right thing because the energy Mm, that gets wasted and sucked. Well, I've done it my whole life. No, that's what I'm saying. It's bad. Honestly, though, because I've been reading a lot on energy and how much you can actually Mm. put into negative. It just, it gets to a point where when you focus so much on a negative essence, that's actually not going to be beneficial to you. It can take you down an even further journey. And Mm. then you, you actually start thinking negatively and it's just not a good space to be in. So I guess in this situation, when you do tell a a loved one, Hey, this is how I feel. I'm not going to give you a fucking A to Z, you know, list of why it is how it is. I love you very much. You need to drop it at the door and then go, Mm -hmm. okay, I've done that. I'm proud of me. Let's move on to something I need to focus on like breastfeeding or whatever. I do like the giving them your preference though because I feel like so often, I I mean, it's not just the older generation. I think it's anyone like who their intention was to help Mm. and when that's not seen as good enough, they then just go, 
you know, oh, well, you're impossible to help. Like there's nothing I can do right. Anything I do gets picked apart. But I think if you do, you know, if we're using the postpartum as a example, it could be like, okay, I don't want visitors, but gosh, it would be helpful if you could do my, you know, Mm click and collect or pick the kids up from daycare or whatever. And so you've, you know, you're still allowing them to be a part of something, but you're setting your boundary in like in the parts that you want them to be there for. Absolutely. And I think it's, as you were speaking, something that was coming to me was just some work that I did with a client in the past where part of her issue with boundaries was also around what she kind of fantasized about in terms of the relationship she wanted with her parents. And so it would mean that she had more kind of porous kind of boundaries because she kept hoping that they would actually show up in Mm. the capacity that she wanted them to. And so I think that that's something to have a think about as well for anyone who's listening, if that might be one of the reasons that, or one of the obstacles, I guess, that gets in the way of you actually putting or being clear, I guess, about that boundaries, like the fear that if I do that, then I'll never get you know, that closeness that I want or whatever. But I think that people yeah. show you what they can give you and and there's an acceptance that we need to have about what that is from other people, right, as well, so that we don't put ourselves in this position where we're constantly being kind of hurt because we're opening up and they're not actually able to do that. So some of that's actually around, you know, our own boundaries with ourselves. Which also comes into the next question. What do we do when a boundary has been set and it hasn't been respected? And I think this Mm. is really aiming and targeting at the in-laws. Sorry, in-laws, but (laughs) a lot of people say, like when we have parenting pickles, they really are. I've told, you know, my mother-in-law not to wear perfume, yet she continues to wear perfume. So Mm. what should we do if if this is something that occurs? Mm. Well, I think then what we need to communicate is what the consequence of that boundary violation is. So, and that's something that you can leave out of the original conversation when it comes to um, sort of setting boundaries, or sometimes it may be needed that that actually is what comes in because, you you know, I don't know how every conversation around boundaries is going to go. So sometimes we may have people who don't receive it well and who then ask questions about why the boundary is set or who say they're going to do it anyway or whatever it may be. And then we need to be really clear what it is that we're going to say, which is, you know, if you're not able to do that, then maybe that means that you're not going to hold the baby. And I understand the perfume thing. I used to be like that when my kids were really little as well. And also around smoking, that was a big thing for me as well. Mm. So I totally understand that. And I would feel confident in saying that, but it's about that person who needs to communicate that boundary. It's about them finding the confidence to say, If you can't respect that boundary, then it means you can't hold the baby, for example, when you're here, right? I'm assuming if that's the perfume thing. It could also be like for me, I have this wild sense of smell that's never stopped after being pregnant. And so I can literally, I feel like I'm one of those people that could sniff out cancer. Mm. Like just like everything irritates me in terms of smells. And so that's, I think that that's a really clear thing to communicate. And you can say, well, maybe you can bring the perfume with you and put it on when you leave or something, you know, like if it's that much of a big thing. But I think it's reasonable to communicate with people about what the consequence of violating that boundary will be. And I think that if you're talking about an in-law, so it's not your direct family, then it's just something that you would want to be talking about with your partner if you are partnered. And just to make sure that there's an understanding there of why that boundary is important and what you're willing to do in terms of a consequence and making sure that that's like a, you know, that there's a supported front there. 
in in that sense. And that can be tricky because sometimes there are boundaries that we want to put in place that our partners may not support or are hesitant to get involved in because of their own complex dynamic within Mm. their families as well. And that's, gosh, you know, complex. And it's, I mean, that's a difficult one to even answer because each family is different, you know, and what the issues are that, that are sort of involved in that are going to be different for each family. Is it fair to expect our partner to do the boundary setting with their parents or if it's a boundary that is your own, is it kind of your responsibility to set that boundary regardless of who it's with? I think it depends on who's involved in the boundary. So I think that if we're talking about a boundary that is going to support the well-being of the people in the couple or of the children, I think that that's really Mm. important that partners get on board for that. So yeah. I'm, mm. I'm thinking about, you know, in the work that I do, often the boundaries or the violations that are happening are really significantly impacting the, well, the mental health of mothers or potentially are the, the other place that I often see that is kind of like in the gendered communication that sometimes comes out of older people who are around our children and the worry that mothers may have about that, about being good girls and all of that sort of stuff. And then really wanting to sort of move away from that. And I think that that is really important for partners to get on board about, to understand why that's important, to understand what the implications are of, you know, growing up being told constantly that you're a good girl versus, you know, whatever else exists outside of that, you know, and I think that that is important. And I do think that the first port of call should be that our partners communicate with their parents. But I do think that there's very good reason for us to get involved when we see that they're not willing to do that. Like, so, I mean, I've never been personally in that situation because as I said, I've got good alignment with my sort of in-laws. But if, if people find themselves in a situation where they've communicated a number of times with their partners about something that is happening in that dynamic that is not good for their well-being or for their children's well-being and the partner is not actively involved there. I think it's completely reasonable for, you know, for women, if that's the case, to go ahead and actually communicate that with those people. And I think that when we're going to do that, we do need to be quite tactical about it, right? Because if we're if, yeah. if we're wanting to maintain relationship and all of the rest of it, this isn't just like a boundary with someone at school or you know, things like this family, it's much more complicated. So I do think that reflective process going into that is really important. And you may even want to, you know, ask someone else to kind of, you know, be a bit of a a sounding board for you in terms of just being able to say, well, what do you think about this? And, you know, whether that's a therapist or a friend or maybe two friends to get a bit of a different opinion, that can be helpful as well. And I think also when you go and do this and say your partner has tried or said they've tried to, you know, have this conversation with their their parents and it hasn't it hasn't happened or something, whatever you've asked hasn't gone well, to sometimes like skip the skipping stone. So instead mm. of like asking them to ask the mm. source, if you just literally get rid of that stepping stone and go directly to the source, mm. you then know with full no knowledge that you that they've interpreted it the correct way that you've because if 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 you genuinely feel like this is what you want said, the best person to say that is you. Mm-hmm. You know that you're going to get it across as best as you can. You know that it's out, and the only thing left is for their response. Yeah. And once again, whether or not they interpret it like it's a threat or there's an issue, mm. you have got it off your chest. You know that you've said it, and that's up to them. Yeah. And you've got your you've got your partner's um 
back as well because mm-hmm. they know that this means something to you. They've tried and this is like your last straw. Yeah. And surely as the receiver, I feel like it's very hard when someone comes to you and they're like, this is the way that I'm feeling. It's quite difficult to deny that mm-hmm. when it's that person saying, this is making me feel like this, this is important to me because of X, Y, and Z. Whereas it's almost like gossip or bitching culture that if someone comes to you and it's like, oh, Jade's feeling like this, it's very easy to be like, oh, she's so, like, this is not you. (laughs) I mean, like, if you were role-playing, like, mother-in-law or or even, oh, Jade, she's always so over the top. I can't do anything right. God, she's a helicopter parent type thing. But when it's that actual person saying, this is why, it's, it's, I feel like, yeah, that's harder to deny. Yeah, and I think that makes a really good point for actually even for both you know, if you're in a couple and it's something that your partner needs to be involved with for both of you to actually Mm. be there. Um, And the other thing I was thinking as you were speaking that through is I was thinking about some of my own experiences with just dialogue with family and extended family in general and like group chats and things like that. Like in case it's not obvious is that communicating boundaries is always best Mm -hmm. in person, like not via group threads or not via one-on-one text messages or anything like that because there's so much that can be misconstrued in text. You can't hear tone or, you know, anything like that. So really important that if you're going to be having these conversations that you need to be doing them face-to-face. That leads us kind of to our next point. As we were saying, postpartum is an area where we often want to set some boundaries. And I guess there's been somewhat of a trend or a move that people will send out a group message or do a Facebook post saying, for example, we're not having visitors in the hospital, only immediate family at home, X, Y, Z. Do you think that there are probably, I guess, better ways that we could go about setting those boundaries? I'm thinking in terms of like your parents and your direct sort of in-laws, I think that it's reasonable to have those conversations in real life with people. I'm trying to think about me because I was one of those people that didn't want anyone around and we didn't tell, I didn't even tell anyone that I had my son (laughs) straight away because I know it can be hard for people, right? Especially, you know, excited kind of grandparents and things like this. It Hmm. can be hard for them for them to have that. But I think that it's important for us to, this is a good beginning point to start have, having communication about boundaries as well. That first moment when our babies enter the world, this is that first kind of possibly the first time that people are really going to have to set those kind of harder boundaries. And for me, it was definitely, and I'm sure for lots of other people, it was about wanting to preserve that the intimacy that existed in the first time ever that it was more than just me and my husband, you know, and so I communicated that with those people who needed to know that. And then we did have family and that sort of thing come that day, but I think it was quite a bit later on. So it was just, I think it was just my mother-in-law and my dad um, at that point. It got a bit trickier the second time around because now I had a toddler and I needed someone to, <laughs> to look like, I need him. your help, but I also want you to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I think I, I think that that's probably fine as a general communication. Like if you're sending it out like for cousins and you know, your friends generally and th- and things like that, but your close friends and your own parents yeah. and your in-laws, I think that that's a, com- a, a conversation that probably needs to be had in person, which is just, hey, this is what our thinking is. This is what our plan is um, for this time. And we just want to really have that 
that special beginning time together and then we're going to invite people and you'll be the first, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. A compliment one. I mean, sandwich. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> I, I miss that. you too, I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because I definitely have heard, you know, lots of stories which are, are varied about that, you know, with like, you know, in-laws kind of camping out in the car parks yeah. and people are in hospitals and things like that. And I think also that really adds pressure to the birthing person and you know we don't need any pressure any kind of pressure anxiety or stress just makes labor more complicated so that also could be info that you use you know as part of that as well god there are some really good questions in here i'm gonna i just pick one out how to tackle unsolicited advice and opinions so i guess it depends on who it's coming from i think if it's one of the ones that i really love with karen in the supermarket (laughs) yeah yeah with those ones, I mean, with people that I don't know, I probably just wouldn't really say much. Yeah. Like I'd, I just walk away as though no exactly. one's spoken to yeah. me most I'd of the time. I'd sort of just be yeah. like, mm, okay, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but I'm thinking like even in, in terms of like our own parents or our in-laws that might make comments around how we're doing with sleep, how we're doing with quote-unquote discipline or how, <laughs> you know, all of those sorts of things. And I really love the sports casting for that. So I don't even, you know, you don't need to speak directly to the person, but you would sports cast, which is, you know, whether it's, you know, one of the ones that I remember um, particularly was around how often, you know, I was picking up the baby mm-hmm. or holding the baby or carrying the baby in the carrier. And it's like, you know, you've, and I would just talk to the baby and I would say, You've been, you know, inside this beautiful, warm place for this long and the world is a scary place now and it feels so much nicer for you to be snuggled up. And I would talk to the baby and it was like I I was saying what I wanted to say. That's (laughs) great. What I wanted to say to the person. So that's often what I sort of say to people, which is like whatever you want to say, wrap it up in niceness and talk directly to your baby. And I think that works also with toddlers and, pre, you know, um, uh, primary school age children, all age children, because it's kind of also sometimes people in our families have a very different perspective on parenting, right? And about body autonomy and all of those sorts of things. And so I say out loud, like even, you know, now still with my um, son who's seven and my daughter who's five, when I see people approaching them to try and give them a hug or a kiss and I can see they're not into yep. it, I will say, you get to choose what feels good for you. You can give a high five and I'll yeah. like sports car. So I don't have to say directly to the person. Stop. But yeah. yeah. But there are a couple of people who continuously do that. And I just jump in straight away before I even see them because it gives my child the, the sense of empowerment of like, oh, I don't have to do this all myself or it is okay because another adult is saying it's okay for me not to want to hug. And I've seen some of those people actually now I've seen them say, do you want a hug or do you want a high five? Mm-hmm. So people do get it and it just is a bit of a non-confrontational way of actually addressing that. You know, obviously there are things that we do need to confront, but if if it's, you know, something that we don't need to that we can sportscast, I would say go ahead and do that. Well, one I thought sportscast was some new streaming app, so I'm glad I've learned something today. <laughs> you just play it in the background yeah. and it just it I'm like, where, where is it? I need to download it. Fuck. Um, and the other thing, this would work really well for the people in the supermarket or Joe Blow because it's usually an older generation and it does, sometimes it can stick in your mind for, and you can tell mm. your friends for three weeks how much that one time annoyed you. So yeah, even if that baby is sitting there the and time. you've got it in the carrier yeah. and you're looking at them and they come up and go oh your head looks a little bit uncomfortable you could literally turn around and go 
you look pretty happy to me. You okay? you are okay. And like yeah. having that fake conversation, where does it yeah. leave them? Yeah, you yeah. know, I'll too, and you've gone. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, where it exactly. leads them. Exactly, absolutely. And that, like, I didn't really get too much of that, but I, when I did get it, it was always around how often I had a baby in a carrier, you know, about just like even stuff from professionals, you know, like um, midwives, I remember one said to me like, you know, their legs and stuff won't develop properly if they're in there for too long. And I'm just like, do you know that they've been in here for like nine months? (laughs) Yeah. Washed into like this tiny, you know. They're thawing out. Yeah, exactly. This one came in about 60 times. So I feel like we have to, I guess, do a little role play of it. And it's the kissing of the baby. Mm. Often the mother or the mother-in-law. Am I the baby? You're the baby. Are you going to kiss me? And I'm the (laughs) mother-in-law. Kiss you on the lips, even though I've got a history of cold sores. But yes, good example. Take it away, mother. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a tricky time for that too, right? Like with COVID and that we know that there are some people who are sort of asymptomatic, but that doesn't mean that what they pass on is asymptomatic for other people. So I think that's a tricky one, isn't it? And again, that's not one I've had a lot with. I have one person who I remember very clearly that was very very kissy and I just remember I just went into this panic and also felt so frozen because it was just something I hadn't experienced up until that point and then it was happening and I was like I'm very uncomfortable but what do I do with this now you know and I think look having a think about it you know if if for that particular person who sent in the question or the 60 people who've (laughs) sent in the question is like also front loading some of that. So that's one of the ways, rather than waiting for it to happen is actually maybe having the conversation with the person in advance of that. Because also when we try and block that in the moment, if we're going to, yeah. be, you know, actually having to talk directly to the person, it can feel, they're going to feel a bit like clunky, right? Because they've just gone in to do something and now they've been like, you know, corrected or stifled in doing that. So rather than waiting for that opportunity is actually front loading by talking to them about it in a cold state. So it's not going to be heated. It's not going to be weird and uncomfortable for them because they've been stopped from doing that. It's more like saying, hey, you know, maybe last time you were here or something that's been on my mind, you know, bringing it up like that, similar to what you mentioned before, Jade, and just sort of going back Mm. to that occasion and saying, this is how I feel about it. And again, giving them another option, like what's another option? I'd prefer that maybe you just hug them or maybe you could give them a kiss on the hand or whatever it is that feels comfortable for people. Yeah. So I think that maybe talking about it in advance, but again, there's going to be certain people who don't want to respect that. And that's when it's important to communicate what the consequence of that would be. Mm. But even like when you've given birth and you're in the hospital, if that's where you are or whoever's coming Mm. to see the child and saying straight away, like, oh, can I have a cuddle? Absolutely. We've just made this decision that no one's to kiss on the the head Mm. or blah, blah, blah. It's not at you. It's just this, this, you know, we're letting everybody know. And it's kind of like, well, that is in the cold moment. You don't have to even think about Mm -hmm. it because you've ripped the Band-Aid off before it's needed to to be ripped in in a sense. I also reckon like blame it on the doctors, like just make it up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Honestly, That's just great. like this, this is something that the midwives and staff have talked to me about and it's a bit of a new thing that they're just making parents aware of. Then they'll go, oh, know. oh, no, 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 tell them that I'm Grandma Joe, and that doesn't <laughs> matter because back in my day and you'll be like, fuck. All right. And that was yeah. another one that came yeah. in a lot is um, kind of that 
I guess that balance between letting grandparents be grandparents and, you know, like we expect mm. grandparents to maybe not feed them the way that we do and that's fine because they're grandparents or whatever. And also grandparents saying, oh, well, this is what I did when Tommy was a kid and he turned out fine. How can we kind of find that balance where we're comfortable without, you know, I guess like squashing that relationship between grandchild and grandparent? Well, when you said that, you know, I, we used to do that with so-and-so and they turned out fine, the thought I had was like, when we know better, we do better. So that's Or you just go, is he? <laughs> is Tommy fine? Yeah. I'm married to him and I'm still peeing so on the sure. seat. <laughs> Have you seen exactly. him trying to put so, on a load of washing? <laughs> and then all of a sudden we end up in such a deep conversation yeah, that we yeah. don't know how we got there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that it's definitely something that I have thought about myself and I I think it comes down to like, what is the cost of it? So, you know, what is the cost of that particular thing that's happening, whether it's a behavior or how they're talking, like the, the kind of um, the limit for me is like, if it's impacting their self-esteem, like my children's self-esteem or their sense of self-worth, or if it's a, it's, if it's a core value that's deeply out of alignment for me and, and my husband for how we're raising our children, then that's like a no brainer. That's a boundary that we put down mm. when it comes to things like, health or like, you know, in terms of like sweets or TV and things like that, we would have boundaries in terms of like, this is the content that we're happy with our children watching. But if that, if you need, you know, like we have, for example, my mother-in-law looks after my daughter once a week and it's like, she can do whatever she wants over there because I know that she understands what we find appropriate in terms Mm. of like content and things like that. And if she was having like, you know, seven ice creams in a day over there, then I probably would say something about that. But she has ice cream, an ice cream almost every time that she goes there and eats her out of house and home of sultanas Mm. and every berry she can find. And I'm like, that's the only place that she does that. And for me, I'm like, it's it's core memory. Like that's yeah. stuff that she's going to look back on and be like, grandma's house was the best, you that's know? That's so true. And, and so for me, like I have experiences like that from my childhood as well that I think so fondly about with my grandmother, but they aren't ones that like deeply impacted my sense of self or my well-being. So I yeah. think that it's about, you know, if it's really out of out of alignment with a very important core value of ours for our parenting, I think that that makes sense. If it's if it's something that is harming the well-being of our children or that it's putting our children at risk and it's not safe, then absolutely we need to set those boundaries. But I, for me personally, outside of that, it's kind of like, you know, core memory stuff, right? Like if they're having a good time, everyone's safe, everyone's happy, then, you know, what's the mm, big deal? I love that. That's me. Everybody has to feel, you know, that's going to feel comfortable for you. So, yeah. Let's move on to partners. Mm. One of the questions that came in, how can we establish boundaries with our partner around intimacy when we feel completely touched out? Yes. And I think that this also one of the important things to consider here is what we define as intimacy as well, because mm-hmm. um, sexual intimacy is only one type of intimacy and that this is going to look different for each couple and for each person as well. So I think that if you're feeling touched out, where can where could potentially your partner get involved more so that you don't feel as touched out is one the of the dishwasher. first things that, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm saying this a lot from my own experience as well, that when I have felt touched out, I mean, yes, from an actual physical perspective, but it's also just in terms of feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. So if you're in a state of of overwhelm, then it's looking at 
who do you need to call in for more support? And it's not just for you to get back to sexual intimacy, but it's also just for you <laughs> yeah. to actually feel better. To be right? happy, like, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think also talking about sort of sexual intimacy or intimacy, I think it's really important for us as women to feel connected to ourselves and to our own bodies and to our own, you know, to be intimate with ourselves. And I don't even mean sexually and I also mean sexually. Like if you are not in that space where you can feel comfortable like that for yourself, how can we sort of invite other people into that space? Mm. Um, And so when I'm talking about intimacy with ourselves, I'm thinking about how do we care for ourselves? How do we love ourselves? So I think that that's really important. But again, that I feel becomes less possible when we are in a state of overwhelm. And so if we're in that state, it's saying, well, what is the load that we're carrying that potentially our partner could support us better with? And also who else might we need to call in to the system so that uh, both of us can actually do what we need to do Mm. in our roles better. So that's kind of where I would start with thinking about that. It's like a big running joke that a lot of women have and mothers have that if, you know, your husband did the dinner or washed the dishes or did something, then you'd be more inclined to have sex. But in Mm. terms of like feeling overwhelmed and not feeling overwhelmed, when I walk Mm. through the door after working and if my husband has cleaned the house, it's tidy, and I don't mean like he's telling me this. This is Mm. subconscious walking through and it's ticking off without me having to know that I have to do it. I just automatically walk in and see a clean house and then I'll turn to the right and if he says, I've made dinner, I am immediately internally relaxed. Like I just know that he's taken that pressure off me. One, I appreciate that he's taken the pressure off, so points to him. But also there's two less jobs that I have to now do. So in fact, that just makes me go, oh, well, I'll go and have a shower or I'll go and spend time with the kids. And that Mm. makes us have more time for each other, which usually does end up, it might be depending on how tired we are. Let's be serious. Mm. It's usually me. He will always be in for it, but it's either (laughs) cuddling on the couch or Mm. if it's something else. Or another job goes up the list. Yeah. (laughs) Or there might be a high priority there, but whatever it is, it is a different way of thinking and overwhelm Mm. is something to really think about because I think as a woman that is something that takes over especially after we give Mm -hmm. birth to a human we care about. Nick and I have had this conversation Mm. so many times and we're getting better it kind of reared its head really after Goldie that I was trying to explain to him like I have this tick box of things in my head and I can't feel intimate while this Mm. list is in my head and he was like but surely the number one priority and the thing at the top of the list is us like connecting and I'm like look it makes sense when you say it like that but I'm imagining the mess that's out there yeah. I'm imagining the other things that are still going to be on the list once we're finished in a couple mm-hmm. of minutes um and you know what I mean like it is just so interesting that when it's put like that it's like yeah why isn't that at the top of the list but I guess no, I mean I, women and men can be psychological correct. sexual beings but I feel so often women it is so much about but would you psychology? agree I think this mm-hmm. is funny and correct me if I am wrong but when I do let's say give in and I'm just like okay give in. let's <laughs> no let's let's you know <laughs> let's have some sort of sexual act and we do nine times out of ten I'm more relaxed for it and I'm like why mentally didn't I think about how the outcome was going to be because usually I don't after that go oh what a waste of fucking time like I, I actually really do enjoy I it I always think 
getting. I should do that more often. It's mentally getting to that point, <laughs> yeah. and you just yeah. can't get to that yeah. point. Is that literally a woman like? Is that a no, female I, thing, or is it? It's not a female high stress woman. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 it's not. I think that what you're essentially getting to, and that's, I was writing some notes down so I wouldn't yeah. forget, was that when we talk about overwhelm, we have to think about what state is the nervous system in. And when we're in overwhelm, we're in fight or flight. That's what we're in. And what that means is that we don't have cues of safety. We have cues of threat. So how do we be intimate with someone and be yeah. soft and loving when we are cued for threat, right? Like when you walk in the house, the opposite of what you described is like looking around and like, I had this actually, I've had this this week. I'm also approaching my period. So it's like the worst time because I yeah. just like rage every time I see another thing. Same. On the floor. That's another episode. So, yeah. <laughs> done rage. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> a period rage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole episode. And so it's like, it's like, you know, I will walk in and I see that thing that's, you know, I just start to get wired about it. I notice another thing on the floor that like all the towels are on the floor in the bathroom. No one's wiped up the floor from the shower. Like, you know, I just walk through the house and it's like another thing, another thing. By the time someone, you know, my husband comes home and he's like, you know, come yeah. over and have a hug or whatever, or just like, how was your day? I'm just like, how was my day? You know, like, <laughs> that's a vibe, right? And so it's like. The it's audacity. Like, there yeah, there's just like I'm not, if, if we want to be intimate, we have to not be in fight or flight. We need to be yeah. in a state of relax. And so that's also another way of communicating that with our partners yes. is like, well, how can you help me? And not just help me because that, you know, you want to have <laughs> sex, but because it matters to you, my well-being. Yeah. But how can we both support each other so that we can both be less in our fight or flight and so that we can be receiving cues of safety for one, from one another throughout the day rather than cues of threat? So then when the kids have gone to bed and there's an opportunity, I'm more likely to want to be near you rather than be seething from the other side of the house <laughs> because, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? So I, I do. That's, yes, yeah. we know what you mean. But this is yeah. like, this is also like, you know how you have this, like, I hope that they read my mind, right? So mm. in my head today, it's like, I hope he's reading my mind that that is all going to be done when I get home. Or... I could be proactive about it and send him a text in five minutes, which I'm going to do and we'll see what happens. And I will mm. say, hey, it would mean the world to me that when I get home from work that you've got dinner sorted and yeah. the house is relatively clean. He, I've communicated it with him. He is well aware that that's what I really would appreciate. Usually he writes in a funny thing, P.O., which means piss off, but that means yeah. to him I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's no to yeah. done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it does. And yeah, when he, the same. But when, when he comes, when I come home and he's done that, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we've got to remember that our partners can't read our minds and we mm. get so aggravated internally and they have no idea that the towels pissed you off and this pissed you off and you've walked in the door and everything's their fault. I think that, you know, if we can really think about these things throughout the day, and I know it's hard, I've come a long way to get to here today, but for me mm. having these conversations with myself and with my partner, it, it has literally changed our relationship for the better and and yeah, it's, it's, it's a game changer. Yeah. yeah, totally. And even, you know, so I was in a bit of a fury over the last two days noticing all that. And I was like, talk, trying to talk myself out of it, like, rather than just getting pissed off at everything, because I wasn't saying anything about it. It's like, you need to sit down and you need to reset with him because he's gone through a really stressful period of time at work. And when that happens, he just, he drops yeah. lots of other stuff because he's got to get through, like, there's mm -hmm. a crisis going on or whatever it might be at work. and he just needs to be, you know, he just needs to be brought back in and said, hey, yep, I know you had that period of time 
you know, I held the fort for that as you do for me at the, you know, when that happens for me as well. But I need you to get back into the rhythm of what normally happens yeah. here yeah. because otherwise this is going to be really un, unhappy situation for the yeah. two of us. Absolutely. And so I think that whether that's that you're communicating as you go throughout the day, the way that you talked about it, or whether that's actually sitting down as a regular thing and yeah. actually like it sounds so unsexy, but like, you know, we Having have done this before where we yeah. get out our laptops mm-hmm. and we look at our calendars and we schedule and plan things like that. So everybody knows where they stand and there is less overwhelm, you know, going into each week and at the end of those weeks. So I think that, again, the communication is so important. But I think that, it, yeah, it's important to sort of walk our partners through how this leads to that, you know. So how does the overwhelm lead to that? So maybe this piece around the nervous system and understanding what that means for us in terms of safety and threat is a useful piece of information for our partners to understand. It's not just us. It's not just in our head. This is actually the way that we're wired. So if we're in, you know, the space where we're detecting a lot of threat, which is like all the things that need to be done around the home and how nobody else is doing them but us and all this sort of thing, that is just not going to lend itself to intimacy at all, but certainly not intimacy that's of a sexual nature. Like we need to be relaxed and comfortable and feeling safe in order to have sexual intimacy. It's never about the thing. It's never like, it's not that, you know, the dishes got left on the sink. It's what it means to you that someone did that. Like, what does that mean to you? And, you know, for me, when I think about that, it's like that you don't see my value or that you don't Mm. see me as worthy or that that I'm invisible in some way. And often we can trace that back if we ask the question of like, how is this familiar? Or when have I felt this before? Or how early back have I felt that? And I also think on the flip side, to better understand what's happening for our partners, or in fact, for anyone is the question of what is my most generous interpretation? I actually just did a reel about Ah. that the other day. I feel like that always helps me again, get beneath whatever it is that's really going on, even for the other person. It's like, okay, rather than spiraling into this place of like, they don't care about me, they don't this, they don't that, whatever. If I use what is my most generous interpretation about the dishes being left on the sink, it's like, well, what was going on for him this morning? And what is what's happened the night before? And normally, yeah. all of a sudden, I have this like, insight that wasn't able to come to me before. And that's just because it before I was making meaning about it in line with my own belief systems and my own experiences and all of that sort of stuff. And also the meaning making that we engage in is always going to confirm what we already believe. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like it's, it's like not Google. going to allow for <laughs> yeah. It's not going to allow for anything else. It's this beautiful, very fast and automatic process. But when we then say let's flip this. What is my most generous interpretation? So if I had Mm. to be so generous for that other person, what other meaning can I make of that? And I find that in those instances with my husband, I've actually used that more, I think, with my husband Mm. than I even have with my own children. I do something really similar with Nick is that I know deep to my core that he cares about me and cares about our family more than anything else. So I try and go, okay, any situation where I feel like he's let us down or he hasn't respected my time or or, or anything mm-hmm. like that, I think I know that his intentions wouldn't have been bad. And I guess it's similar that mm-hmm. I go back to what could have led to this letdown happening. It doesn't mean that the letdown is okay or that I'm going to just like let it slide and not discuss mm. it or communicate that I feel let down and disappointed. But it means at least I don't go into it feeling like you have purposely fucked us over and you don't care about us and I feel like that's similar but I feel like you could almost I mean a lot of these people that we're setting boundaries with are people that we love and care deeply about and in turn probably 
care deeply about us. And I'm not saying that you just let the boundary go, but I think if we approach these conversations rather than confrontations with that what was the terminology you used? Generous. Yeah, what is my most generous interpretation? Generous interpretation yeah. of it. You mm-hmm. do go into it in a way less reactive kind of situation. Yeah. And you can go in, I think when you use that and then go in for that conversation after you've done that reflection of what is my most generous interpretation, it takes some of the fire out of your own response, yeah, right? It does. And some of that, some of the big emotions that come there. And when I think about that, when I have used that, like in case of my father, for example, it's like, I actually come to a place where I feel a, a lot of compassion for him sometimes yeah. because mm. I'm like, wow, he must have had this different kind of experience growing up where he wasn't given the freedom and the safety to actually fully be who he was and to fully express himself and to fully be in his childhood as well, mm. right? Because if he has this expectation that children can't be childlike or that they have to be acting as though they are developed far beyond the years that they actually are, what does that mean about what his own life yeah. experience has been, right? So then I can come to him with more compassion and understanding about that. But still, as you said, it doesn't mean that we don't set the boundary. It just means we get to do it in a way that mm. isn't so so heightened, you know, so activated. Yeah. I love that. This is a final one. It's about friends and it's not so much a boundary, but how do we deal or navigate a situation where, you know, we're pregnant or we've had a child and we feel let down by our friends or feel they've disappeared once we've moved into this mm. stage? Oh, that one feels really close to <laughs> Oh, sorry. Um, do you want to talk so, about it? No, 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 no. Not, not in a, that's coming from a place that there is closure on yeah. that. So, and I think the 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 kind of insight that I have about my own experience with that is to do with what our expectations are as well. And, you know, for me, the people who I'm thinking about were not people who were parents. And so there isn't, and they still are not parents. And so there isn't necessarily an understanding of the kind of need that is there, but there was also a lack of clear communicating or Mm -hmm. expressing of need. Um, And I think, Jay, that's what you mentioned before. Like, you know, people are not mind readers. We have to actually really clearly express what our needs are in order to have them met. And when they're not met and we haven't expressed them, it's unfair to actually be angry toward those people about that. So I think there was an element of that for me where I had to get clear about what it is that I needed. And I was able to do that after some reflection. And once I did that, they were able to meet the need within the capacity that they had because they were also in a different life stage. And so Mm. some of that disappointment or the grief, I would even say, that existed there was also just around the grief that we do experience as we transition into being mothers, right? Like so the matrescence experience and grieving loss of who we used to be or how we used to navigate the world, the people that we used to have contact with. I think that for me, there was a part of that that was always going to happen. And I think lots of us can probably relate to that, that there is grief as we transition into being a mother of one, a mother of two, mother of three, whatever it may be. So some of it was around that. But at the same time, I think if you have expressed what your needs are and maybe you've been let down or, or your friends haven't shown up in the capacity that you want them to, then I think it's important for us then to set boundaries about what we're, yeah. uh, ha- how much access those people have, how much we spend time with them, you know, what kind of context that we're actually spending time with them. So for me, like 
I have friends from all sorts of different walks of life and there are some people who I see in some contexts and others that I don't because it just doesn't work, right? And for me to expect that they're going to be, you know, really maternal or something or really inclusive of my children or whatever. It's just not, it's not the thing. It's not, it's not what they're wanting. And so that's partly about me understanding yeah. that boundary and saying, well, I, I know what you can give me. It's kind of coming back to the same thing with what your capacity is. And so I'm just going to move and work alongside that rather than trying to push you into something that isn't actually what you can do. Yeah, because I guess they're allowed boundaries too. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's a natural yeah. progression because my husband, when he was a young dad, he would always have these, you know, plans with his friends who didn't have kids. And he would always get really, really upset or riled up where he'd be like, they just, they don't, they don't get it, blah, blah, blah. They're, you know, they said, I said 10 o'clock was when I could do it because she goes down at this time and blah, 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 blah. But now they're like, oh, I just woke up. I'm going to have a surf. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, babe, you can't be angry at them because they don't understand because they don't have kids. There may mm -hmm. be a time where they do understand, but right now they don't. And that's when I mean with the shift that you, you then find friends that do have something that you can relate to. And you still may have those friends that you do go for a surf with. It's just now a different time slot or a different once a month catch up because they're not in alignment where with where you're at. And I think that example that you gave of your husband is like, you know, the boundary or that might be needed to be communicated there is like, if you can't make it on time, then I just can't do that. Or for him making a boundary that is that maybe I only catch these people after this particular time because I know the kids are in bed and it doesn't yeah. matter if there's lateness around that. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things when we're trying to put people into boxes that they just don't fit into. And it's hard because before we have kids, we're, we're probably at very similar life stages maybe. Like I'm thinking from mm. my own experience with, you know, my friends that maybe didn't have kids, we're at similar life places and we, you know, you're late, whatever, it's no big deal. And then you come into being a mother and they, maybe there are some boundaries that now exist that you are learning about as well. And that's the thing, like we're learning about them too, but I, can so relate to those women who maybe sent in that question because I remember crying so much about it and my husband was so level-headed about it. He was just like, they're just not in the same stage of life that you are. They don't understand and they may not ever understand until they have children. And he was really good at actually, you know, communicating, you know, psychology me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Therapizing me and sort of being like, you know, it just means that this is what you need to expect from them. And if you mm. operate within that boundary, then you're not going to be upset anymore, you know. I remember once I had kids thanking one of my friends who had three kids before or two kids before we started having kids and she mm. spent two nights away from them for our wedding. And mm -hmm. I remembered it wasn't until I had two kids, like it would have been five or so years after the wedding going to her, wow, thank you so much for coming. That must have been yeah. such a big effort. <laughs> and in that moment, and I think it was because we were away then for one of my friend's 30ths and I was like, wow, what went into like me being away tonight for the 30th? But it made me realise that, I was that person like because yeah. I didn't understand totally. and, and I don't, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I hope I didn't like let people down but you truly do think oh why can't you just come to dinner just bring them with you they're like a handbag right they're totally. like a chihuahua in a, a handbag <laughs> easier just bring easier. them with you um, and so I yeah. think that we've got to have I guess compassion that yeah we were there once and probably did similar things yeah yeah I remember that same feeling I remember feeling really guilty in particular like I have I had a couple of friends who'd already had children by the time I did and they just without even telling me or anything they just constantly were dropping food at the door 
I'd mm. open the door on any given day and there was just like some snack there or like a loaf of bread or whatever. And I just remember just crying and feeling so bad because all those times that they'd had yeah. children and I had never stopped to think that this was a thing that they needed. This mm. this was how to show up as a friend. Even a message, a simple yeah. I'm thinking of you is enough for you to go, oh, they're thinking of you. Yeah. I absolutely love this chat with you. I just want to say a massive thank you for you, Yara, for coming on today. I'd oh, actually so like to thank my therapist. I'd like to thank me and I'd also like to thank all the therapists out there for doing their job because where would we be without you? And thank yeah. you, Sophie, for thank being you. here today. For, for being honest that I'm not very good at setting boundaries. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you so much. I really, I love having a chat with you ladies. So anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.